Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm David Greenstein. Today we're studying Eruvin Ayin Zion. Eruvin Folio 77. Talmud's discussion is based on a Mishnah that is found on the previous page, 76b. And the Mishnah there talks about a wall that separates two courtyards. And we know that in general the idea of an Eruv is to be able to overcome distinct spaces and to create one virtual space out of separate spaces. But the Mishnah here talks about a wall that seems to prevent that from happening. If the wall is of sufficient height and width, it is its own distinct space, and therefore the two courtyards that are on either side of the wall cannot be mixed together with an Eruv. Each courtyard must be held to be a distinct space. And then the question is, well, what about the wall itself? So the Mishnah says that the wall itself is an independent space that is accessible to the inhabitants of either courtyard, but it cannot be used as a bridge between the spaces, between the two courtyards. The Talmud picks up from that Mishnah on Ayin Zayin on 77, and it asks various questions with regard to modifying the wall. What if the wall is not that high? What if the wall is not that thick? What if the wall uh, has uh, an opening, a breach to it. Uh, can it be artificially lowered by uh, putting elements next to it, uh, ladders, and so forth? That is the uh, overall program of this page. I want to focus on one particular uh, point that is made early on. Rabbi Yochanan and Rav uh, are recorded as disagreeing about the approach to a wall that is not thick enough to be considered its own separate space. If it doesn't have four handbreadths of thickness, then it is too thin to be considered a separate space on its own. And then the question is, what is it, its relationship to the two courtyards which it divides? Rabbi Yochanan says that it can go either way. It can be considered part of courtyard A, it can be considered part of courtyard B. If there happen to be items or fruit at the top of the wall, the inhabitants of either courtyard can go up the wall and avail themselves of the fruit. They can take it down off that wall and bring it into their own space. The wall temporarily participates in the space of the courtyard. And even though inhabitants from either side are doing the same thing, as long as they don't interchange the fruit between the two courtyards, the wall can participate in both spaces' identity. Rav goes the opposite direction. And Rav says, no, 
that wall has to be considered off-limits to either space. And whatever is on the top of that wall should be left alone and not moved at all. The Gemara asks why Rav is being so stringent. We know that in other cases where the prohibition of carrying, of transporting objects from one space to another uh, is more stringent, is not simply rabbinically prohibited, but is prohibited from the Torah. We know that in such uh, cases, the law is more lenient. And in a Macomb tour, a place, a space that doesn't have its own identity as a private domain, there is the uh, possibility of transferring goods from that space to a space that the Torah recognizes as its own separate space. So why is Rav being so stringent here? And the Talmud says that the answer is because precisely because this is a rabbinic issue, Chachamim asu chizuk ledivrehem yoter mishal Torah. When it came to protecting a rabbinic concept, a rabbinic institution, the sages strengthened their words to be even more stringent, more powerful than the Torah itself. This principle brings us to the very, very essence of the rabbinic project. There are two places that can be considered uh, calling cards of rabbinic tradition, where the rabbis introduce themselves and tell us what they're really principally concerned with, how they saw their project, their mission. One place is at the very beginning of the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the first literary document, the first literary production of rabbinic teaching. And in the first Mishnah of Brachot, we have a dispute between the sages, among the sages, about when to recite or until what time one may recite the Shema in the evening. One opinion says the Shema can be recited in the evening only through such time as people are preparing for going to bed, the first few hours of the evening. One opinion says, no, it has nothing to do with going to sleep. It has to do with the evening itself, and the evening is all night. And so the, rec the recitation of Shema can proceed throughout the night. And then there's a middle ground. And that opinion says, no, the Shema can only be recited until midnight. Where did this artificial time come from? And it's explained that this was a rabbinic injunction the rabbis took it upon themselves to distance people from sin. This is a fundamental distinguishing mark between the rabbinic project and the Torah itself. The Torah tells us, don't do this, do this. Don't sin, perform a mitzvah. But the Torah gives very, very little consideration to the questions of what happens if maybe you're tempted to do something that might lead you to transgressing a sin. 
it is only the rabbis who keep on wondering about these boundaries. And just as Erevin itself is a tractate that is completely preoccupied with the question of boundaries and their definition and their overcoming, the entire rabbinic project is all about the question of where to draw the line. The other place that the rabbis talk about their inherent sense of mission is in the first mission of Pirkei Avot, the fundamental teachings of our tradition on the ethical plane. And there they say that the rabbis saw the beginning of their job as a susyag la Torah, make a fence around the Torah, protect the Torah, because the Torah in and of itself is vulnerable. And if we do not protect the Torah, the Torah's own demands will not be sufficient to keep the integrity of the Torah and its sacredness. So what Rav is saying here is, precisely because the prohibitions of carrying in these courtyards are rabbinic prohibitions, we have to be more strict to maintain those prohibitions than when the prohibition is something that comes from the Torah itself. Psychologically, people will be much more careful to keep something that is prohibited by the Torah, that is mandated by the Torah. Something that is declared by the rabbis to be either necessary or to be avoided will not be taken as seriously unless the rabbis construct enough of a pressure, enough of a system of fences and precautions so that that system takes on a weight that will make people be serious about it and abide by it. This is not, of course, the philosophy of Rabbi Yochanan, the sage who disagrees with Rav. This cuts to one of the great questions throughout rabbinic tradition and in rabbinic jurisprudence. On the one hand, we have a concept that whatever is prohibited or mandated by the rabbis is a lot less serious by definition than that which is mandated or prohibited by the Torah. On the other hand, precisely because the rabbinic system is secondary to the Torah, ironically, paradoxically, it is bolstered, buttressed by the rabbis and in many ways becomes privileged and prioritized beyond the Torah's mandates itself. Is this the right way to go? Is this a healthy way to go? That question has occupied the Jewish people and its sages from the beginning of time. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.